This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Jack Foster and Ryan Schumpen. All right, everybody. Hello and welcome in to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass special edition baseball podcast. I'm your host, Jack Foster. Alongside Ryan Shumpert coming at you at a on a Wednesday morning, bright and early, <clears throat> just past 8 a.m. And Ryan, I have got to say, I'm not a morning person. I thought maybe I was like when I was like 12, 13 years old. I was I was okay at managing early middle school mornings, but now, no, absolutely not. But I'm doing it today for you. Yeah, no, I I appreciate you being accommodating. I'm also not a morning person. If it makes you feel better, so we're both out of our element. I was. Talking to myself in the car ride over here to try to, to get the voice ready a little bit. So hopefully uh, for the listeners, we won't be uh, extra extra rambling uh, or not on top of it today. So, But uh, uh, against odds, I guess you could say. Yeah. Rush hour traffic is something I haven't, like I said, I'm never awake at 7.45 driving usually. So never really have to brave rush hour traffic. But it was a thing this morning, but it wasn't too bad. It got over here. On time-ish, so that'll work. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I got some Tennessee baseball to talk today. We're coming at you after the midweeker, so we can talk a little bit about that, but mostly we're going to be looking back at the Tennessee-Georgia series, talking about trends from that series and, you know, just the biggest takeaways from that series loss as also we have to give a little bit of a preview for what's coming up this weekend as another big series for the Tennessee Volunteers as a ranked opponent, Kentucky, is coming to town. And there's only two more SEC series left, Ryan, until postseason play begins. I know. It's it's getting close. It, it kind of feels crazy that we that we are this close. It kind of feels crazy that we had our second-to-last midweek game, uh, or our penultimate midweek game, the last night against Austin Peay. So it's kind of coming down the hatch pretty quickly. But given that we're this close to the regular season, it still feels like there's – or this close to the regular season coming to an end – Still feels like there's just a ton of possibilities for what Tennessee could find themselves sitting at, uh, or they could, you know, really need to do some work in the SEC tournament to make the NCAA tournament. They could be at the point where they have a shot to host a regional uh, if they yep. play well the next two weeks. So, still a lot of outcomes out there, and two big weeks left for Tennessee baseball to close the regular season. Well, there's no doubt that the Tennessee, the Georgia series loss hurt their chances at hosting. Oh, yeah. Going to be a lot harder. Six-game SEC winning streak entering the series. Made it a seven-game SEC winning streak by winning the opener, 12-3. to And you thought, man, yeah, Tennessee's going to continue to carry their success on the road, but then that didn't happen. Tennessee falls 3-1. to A poor offensive performance on the Saturday game, losing 3-1. to And then on Sunday, you know, with Chase Burns going into the day, of, or, you know, what we thought would be available, Drew Beam has been consistent, but Tennessee can't get it done. Loses nine to four to Georgia on Sunday. Ryan, what did you come away thinking about this series above all else? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure I had any massive, massive takeaway because you know I didn't think they just played horribly by any means. But to me, I guess they came away with th- this team is despite the last two weeks, they're still flawed. They're still. There's more left uh, for them to do to kind of get over that hump, and mm-hmm. uh, I think it was discouraging that they couldn't win the road series. I mean, we talked about that last week. That kind of felt like the one last thing you you had to prove uh, after the the two week stretch, and as you said, the six game home or six game SEC winning streak all at home, and, and now you kind of look at it, and it's like they got South Carolina, the one away series to end the year that's going to be I know South Carolina is struggling right now but that's going to be a very challenging series and if they don't win on the road that weekend they're going to have they're going to go on the road in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament in the regional and they're going to have to have a winning weekend on the road for the first time all year to advance to the super regional so I think uh, more than anything when you look at the long-term uh, effects they just made thing, life a lot harder on themselves I think uh, mm-hmm. from the Georgia series it was really a golden opportunity but I don't know that I necessarily came away with the vibe of, oh, this team, it's just they're just never going to win on the road. They're just horrific okay. on the road. Again, the bar is so incredibly low 
for how they've performed on the road. Uh, but to me, again, this series felt more like the LSU series where Tennessee wasn't perfect by any means, but they were solid, whereas their two other road series in SEC play, Arkansas and Missouri, and really the opening weekend in Arizona too, uh, it, Tennessee looked pretty horrible and was just kind of head-scratching to watch a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee did hey, – you could say yes, they did in the series finale at LSU, but, you know, Tennessee hadn't performed – like they did on Friday in a game one of any road series. That is for sure. Tennessee wins 12-3. to You know, it was a close game until the seventh inning when Tennessee scored five runs. They went on to score five again in the ninth as Georgia's pitching struggled there in the final inning of the game, and Tennessee just went on to pretty much blow out Georgia. Um, but, yeah, a lot of good notes from game one. Christian Moore continued his hot streak at the plate. Two more home runs after Friday's game. He had hit six home runs in just four SEC games, or maybe even four games in general. I think it was four games. Four general. games in Count general. He had one in the midweek. Yeah. So it was five and three in SEC. So he didn't just uh, stad the Pats. What? Had the stats. Stad the Pats. Stad the Pats uh, against whoever it was Tennessee played last w- midweek. Wofford, yeah. Wofford. I but, was going to say Bellarmine. That was two weeks ago. Yeah. But yeah, no, another great day from Christian Moore, Jared Dickey. We just should call him Mr. RBI single at this point. <laughs> yeah, really. Or, you know, drink if any time you say Jared Dickey hit an RBI single because the dude churns them out like nothing. And then um, other, you know, Christian Scott had a three-hit night as well. So, so what I'm getting at is a pretty good offensive night from Tennessee that left that left an encouraged feeling heading into the next two days even though it didn't come to fruition. Oh, you're absolutely right. Like the vibe, it felt like Tennessee was going to coast to the series win after the series opener and the – there weren't a ton of uh, fans there at that game. The weather wasn't uh, nice. It was kind of sprinkling throughout the game. but So you could hear, and it was an open-air press box, so you could hear uh, a lot of what the fans were saying. And, you know, by the end of the game, the Georgia fans were, you know, joking about wait, wait until football season and, no. stuff, and stuff like that. So, uh, But it, what it turned out to be is, I think, as any big baseball fan can attest to, it's like the most frustrating feeling in baseball where – you, your offense is just incredible, goes out and scores double-digit runs one game, and then you turn around the rest of the series or a couple games after that, and you lose a couple low-scoring close games where you, you cannot find a way to get a big hit with runners on base. And that's basically, you know, you said it. They scored, Tennessee scored seven or scored five in the seventh, five in the ninth on Friday. They combined to score five runs the next two games of the series. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, there was no offense, it, you know, no, no rhythm to be found on Saturday yeah. or Sunday. They had 18 hits, I think, combined in those two games, but – you know, nothing manifested for Tennessee enough to where they could win. Let's talk about Saturday real quick. Um, weird turn of events early that I think, you know, you look at just, you know, you, I don't know I don't know the word for it, but you just look at it and you think it's going to hurt Georgia, right? Their starting pitcher gets seemingly hurt on the very first pitch he throws, which is a ball Maui Ahuna fouled off for the first pitch of the game. You could tell he grabbed at his leg afterward, and then the next pitch he throws Maui Ahuna. It's a grounder to the pitcher, he, and he can't cover first. or yeah, Grounder to fir- the first baseman. Grounder to the first baseman, and then the pitcher can't cover first because he's too slow, and that's when you knew you had to take the, the guy out of the game. And then Jarvis Evans, a lefty who is their midweek starter, comes in and deals. Yeah. Throws 80 pitches after throwing 50 or so in the midweek game and just absolutely deals, and Tennessee wasn't prepared for this guy, and it showed. Yes, and I think if there's, to me, what's the most discouraging thing of the weekend, besides just you know the fact that Tennessee didn't win the series, it's that Tennessee had one game, one in the series. The guy who'd been Georgia's best Saturday starter, uh, Charlie best Goldstein, weekend yeah. starter, Charlie Goldstein, gets hurt on the as you said the first pitch, and you have a midweek guy come in, a freshman who hasn't thrown much in SEC play, at mid 80s, mid to upper 80s fastball. I mean even. Low by the non-velocity throwers in this league standpoint. I mean, it was 87 to 89, and that's a golden opportunity for Tennessee to kind of step on Georgia's throat. And, you know, it's obviously more adversity for Georgia, but it's a little bit of adversity for Tennessee's batters, too, exactly. as they're trying to figure out a new pitcher that they didn't prepare for. And Tennessee did, you know, a very poor job of it. He was largely dominant. Uh, they finally got to him a little bit in the six, and that's when he got pulled, and they had an opportunity to blow the game, or may not blow the game open, but blow that inning open and score a lot more runs than just the one they did. But for those first five innings, there really wasn't a lot of hard contact, especially at really two through five. I mean, they had an opportunity there in the first, but uh, Jarvis just he kept them uh, completely 
on their heels, it kind of felt like, and, and they never really got his motion or his got him down, and that's something that a good offense you expect to do, uh, to make those adjustments, uh, especially when, more than anything, it was adversity for Georgia, not Tennessee. And exactly. Georgia, who had to use a lot of their bullpen on Friday night, was all of a sudden having to do a complete bullpen game on Saturday, and you didn't even see Tennessee take advantage of that on Sunday either at any point either. So uh, I think that if you're going to say where's the real disappointment for Tennessee, what's the really discouraging thing, I think you look at their inability to do anything off of Jarvis Evans and, and really take advantage of a weak Georgia bullpen having to throw a ton of innings over the weekend. Yeah, Evans pitched five and a third, only gave up three hits, um, the one run through 50 strikes on 75 pitches. I mean, the guy was just really, really solid. And you mentioned that sixth inning, Tennessee loaded the bases with just one out. They make the pitching change. Probably Evans shouldn't have thrown in the sixth. You knew that he had a cap on that pitch count, given that yeah. he started in the midweek. And Georgia tested the waters in the sixth. Didn't quite work out. But then the the reliever, Marsh, comes in, issues a four-pitch walk to Griffin Merritt to bring in a run. But then that's the only run Tennessee scored as their offense continued to struggle the rest of the way. Yeah, they did. And it felt like, again, that Tennessee was definitely going to get more than one run, especially when uh, he comes in and immediately – Four pitch walk, you said it, and he Marsh was a high velo guy, and you know Griffin Merritt up, who that's kind of been his question mark is struggling with high velo guys, and it's like all right, you know four pitch walk. Zane didn't had hit a home run in game one. Christian Scott has been one of Tennessee's best hitters, really in all of SEC play, but certainly the last few weeks. Yeah, and neither of them could provide the big hit. Uh, Scott worked a competitive at bat, I thought, before popping out, but uh, to me that. That kind of felt like it was Tennessee's chance, and, and I mean the numbers really indicated it, that uh, that Saturday game was the hitting with runners on base and runners in scoring position. The same problem they had in Arkansas: one, two of sixteen with runners on base, one and nine with runners in scoring position. Uh, just not not going to win a lot of games doing that. Yeah, left ten on base as well, and it wasted you know dang good pitching day from Tennessee. I know Chase Dolander; he never got into that two to three inning stretch where we were like, okay, Chase Dolander's in, in his you know, in his mode. He, this is Chase Dolander. He's about to take over for the next three innings. Never quite got that feel. No. He was never there. But he was fine. His pitch count got high, which is a trend we've seen with some Chase Dolander starts. And he only ended up throwing um, six innings uh, through 105 pitches in those six innings. Gave up eight hits in all three of the earned runs. Tennessee gave up on the day. But, you know, it was fine. And then the bullpen did fine. It, you know, it's five pitchers through a total of 28 pitches from out of the bullpen the rest of the, the last three innings. So, you know, it was a good pitching day to hold Georgia to three innings, and but it didn't matter as Tennessee's offense was just lifeless. But your takes on this pitching day from Tennessee? Yeah, with Dolander, I mean, I asked Tony, you know, just a generic assess Dolander's performance after the game, and I thought his the first thing he said was accurate. Dolander was good enough for us to win, and, yep, and that's what that's he was. Very and, true. Uh, it was. It's almost because you rarely see this actually work out this way, but it's almost exactly what you would expect in the sense that he went through the lineup three times. Georgia's lineup is really good there, one through four, and not very good afterwards. And they went through it three times. One through four scored one run on them each time, and I think he allowed four total base runners, five through nine. Uh, that one, mm. uh, the shortstop Marino or something like that. Marillo. He, yeah. Marillo. He, had a big, he had a big game with a couple hits. And I think someone else maybe worked a walk in there. So uh, he struggled uh, to get out uh, Condon and Tate, but so have most people in the SEC this year. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to remember which inning was in. I want to say it was the third inning, so kind of the second time uh, through the order. Georgia was threatening and had a chance to, to score more, too, after the run, and he really limited the damage. And besides that, I thought, while he wasn't perfect, he, he was pretty solid. And like Vitello said, he was good enough for Tennessee to win. He just didn't get much help uh, offensively. Yeah, Ben Anderson and Charlie Condon found themselves on second and third with no outs. Connor Tate That's brought right. Anderson home with a sack five, but then Dolander gets strikeout and fly out to end the inning. So, yeah. Good good stuff there from Dolander in the third. But, you know, I came away with Saturday after watching Friday, and now we're entering Sunday, right? I'm like, okay, Tennessee got a good win on Friday, dominated late, and then baseball happened on Saturday. Like, we haven't seen a poor offensive performance for, like this from Tennessee where there's no clutch hitting in a while, and Georgia wins 3-1. to one. 
you have Chase Burns still in the bullpen. Haven't thrown Chase Burns all weekend going into Sunday. Little did we know that Chase Burns was dealing with soreness. At yeah. least I didn't. No, I didn't either. And then Drew Beam, of course, is like I said earlier in the podcast, has been Mr. Consistent. You know he's going to take the mound on Sunday. You had to have been feeling good about Tennessee's chances entering game three. Yeah, I, I did. And uh, I think it. Uh, you look at Tennessee's last couple trips to Athens, that's kind of how they, they've gone. They've won on Friday. They've lost on Saturday. They've won on Sunday. So you felt like Tennessee, especially like what I just talked about, the fact that Georgia had to use their bullpen for nine innings mm-hmm. uh, on Saturday and used it pretty extendedly on Friday, too. You felt like Tennessee was at a much greater advantage with the arms and the bullpen with Drew Beam uh, on the mound. But uh, it ended up being a Drew Beam road performance, yes. which has kind of been a continued theme for him is – he really struggled, and uh, again, I uh, it's pretty crazy. I mean, it, the way he pitches, you really think would bode poorly at Lindsey Nelson Stadium, but he's been really, really good at Lindsey Nelson Stadium, and he's really struggled away from it this season. And we'll get to those stats in a minute, but yes, Beam was not good on Sunday, struggled early, and gave up four runs in the first three innings. But then Tennessee's offense was keeping up with Georgia. You know, the fourth and fifth inning really changed this entire game and, frankly, changed this entire series. Tennessee scores three runs in the top of the fourth as Scott hits a one-out single. Then Cal Stark comes up huge with a two-run homer. Haven't seen that out of Cal Stark in a while and didn't see that out of anybody on Saturday. But the biggest hit for Tennessee in the past two days at that point was Cal Stark's two-run homer to make it 4-3. to three. And then Jared Dickey. RBI single later in the inning to tie the game after Georgia had made a pitching change. Then Drew Beam throws up a zero thanks to a double play to help him face the minimum minimum in the bottom of the fourth. Entering the fifth inning, 4-4, back to square one, right? Yeah, new game. And but and then the fifth inning changed everything. Tennessee's offense didn't do much in the top, and then the bottom of the fifth, which is where everything changed, and we got to talk about this. Top of the orders coming up for Georgia. We've mentioned how dominant they are with Anderson, Condon, and Tate. And Beam stays in the game. First off, your takes on that. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think he should stay in the game. I mm-hmm. thought he was done. I thought it was fortunate for him to face the minimum in the fourth. Like, okay, yeah, we got through the fourth. Yeah, that's one more inning we can, you know, move on. If you're thinking in Tony Vitello's mind, but then of course, it, Beam stayed out. Yeah, and, and you know it, and it, I do agree with Tony Vitello when he says. You know, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation with these pitching changes. Uh, and the vast majority of the time, I think he's right. There's, It's hard to say there's, you know, one right answer because there's so many different results. But this one, it just felt pretty obvious because Beam was getting hit around and just a lot of hard contact, especially the first two times facing the top of the order. And it just, like you said, one, two, three, do up. It just didn't feel like a good idea to let him face the lineup for a third time. And it certainly – with some lack of defensive help, that you yep. know that proved out to be the case, and uh, so I was surprised. And then I guess that's the other thing I would say is you know a lot of time you see coaches or managers, and, and Vitello has said this before. It's like, all right, Tennessee got down, they got through four with Beam. You would certainly like to get through more, but he at least got you to the middle of the game, and the game's tied. It's kind of like, all right, new ball game. Let's hand it over to the bullpen. It's zero zero at this point. Anybody yep. can win, uh, and I think that's kind of the element of it that made me surprised that they put him back out there just because that's kind of a mindset you've seen Vitello have over the years of, all right, starter's not great, got us to the middle, we're right in the thick of this game, let's just, new ball game, let's uh, start fresh with the bullpen. Yeah, Christian Moore didn't help matters as he allowed Ben Anderson to reach uh, the leadoff man as he committed a fielding error, bobbling a grounder, and then Charlie Condon smacks a home run to center field, two-run homer. By the way, Charlie Condon. Woo! Unreal freshman season that dude's having. 22 home runs now. That's tied for the record amongst SEC freshmen all time, I believe. Yes, with a Vanderbilt player, but I forget his name. Yeah, like 2006, right? Yes. I think he went on to play for the Pirates, if my memory is correct. And the Petri guy from Ethan Petri from South Carolina is right behind him at 21. Uh So, yeah, a couple of SEC freshmen going at it this this year at the top of the home run leaderboards. But anyway, Charlie Condon, two-run homer. Now take Beam out, right? Yes. Like, okay, didn't yeah. work. Down to let's make a pitching change. But no, Beam stays out, gets a grounder, but then a single and another two-run homer, and then that would spell the end of Drew Beam's day. But then at that point, Ryan George is up 8-4, to four, and for Tennessee, it's like, man, it feels like the game got a little out of hand there, and basically the series, and that's what happened. Tennessee's offense couldn't recover from that. 
Georgia g- goes on to win 9-4 to despite A.J. Russell having a brilliant relief outing. Didn't matter as Tennessee's offense couldn't make up that ground and everything changed there in the fifth. It really did. It, it just flipped the game and it felt like, to me, it felt like the six is where Tennessee kind of, it, it felt like it was over after that point because they give up the the four runs and obviously that's a hefty deficit, but they'd already overcome a 3-0 deficit early in the game. True. Uh, and... Cal Starks hit by a pitch. Malayahuna singles. He got two on nobody out. And then Hunter Inslee just ropes the ground to right at the third baseman. It's a double play. And uh, Tennessee, Jared Dickey does walk, but Blake Burke strikes out and the inning's over. And I will say that for Tennessee's offense, I thought they were pretty better than the numbers would indicate on Sunday. I thought they hit That's a lot. Of, I thought they hit a lot of balls hard that ended up being outs. And I mean, Inslee's was a perfect example of it. He that was extremely hard hit. He hits that two or three feet in either direction, and Tennessee either has the bases loaded with nobody out or, you know, scores a run on that play and still has two guys up with Jared Dickey, who has been Tennessee's best hitter all season and was really, really good good all weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're totally right. That's a good point to bring up the sixth inning there, but, you know, I don't know. It just it just never quite manifested for Tennessee. Let's talk about AJ Russell for a second because talk about encouraging things from this weekend. It's probably at the top of the list. Um, you know, Chase Burns didn't pitch on Sunday. When you're talking about making that pitching change in the fifth, in the fifth, Chase Burns probably top of mind, probably was top of man mind for all fans. Yeah. But he was sore and ultimately wasn't quite available. And it, it, you know, when you look at from Tony Vitello's viewpoint, he talked about how Drew Beam had a look in his eye after that fourth inning. You know, he said Drew Beam had that look in his eye yeah. to where it was like I'm about to take control, but that that didn't happen. So Tony Vitello was. You know, put confidence in one of his best pitchers. That's fair. Didn't work out. And when you look at Friday and Saturday, there was never like a no-brainer decision to go to Chase Burns. And then on Sunday, when you go down like that, if you're you know thinking about it in Tony Vitello's mind, it just never quite worked out either. So it was a little bit of a peculiar weekend. And outside of that fifth inning, in which Tony Vitello decided to have confidence in Beam, there wasn't like a slam dunk option to go to Chase Burns. You know? Correct. Um, because Tony Tony Vitello said, you know, he was available. We could have used him, but there was some arm soreness. You know, we didn't yeah. want to push. It. And you're right, there wasn't a, a perfect opportunity. But I guess the two things I'd point out where I question of maybe not that if he was available, but makes me think that Tennessee was never going to use him is that one they've mainly been using him on Friday nights. Like he's been that first guy That's since fair. he's gone to the bullpen, and they went to Camden Sewell there, and two. I just wonder in that fifth inning spot. To me, it, it makes a lot more sense to have brought Drew Beam back out for the fifth inning if you knew you weren't going to use Chase Burns. Because if you weren't going to use Chase Burns, it goes from, all right, we got two or three innings easily with this guy into a rest of a bullpen that's you know pretty pretty fresh. you got mm-hmm. plenty of other guys into, all right, well, now i got to figure out how to get five, out, five innings from those – other arms in the bullpen, which are fresh, but you're at that point you're pushing it a yes. little bit. So it, it makes a lot more sense to have tried to steal an inning. Again, uh, I'm I don't doubt that Burns was available, but it to me it just had to feel or it had to vibe like Tennessee didn't want to use him unless they really had to. Maybe you need two outs in the ninth inning of a one run game or something, and you go to him. Uh, but it it didn't feel like they were going to use him. Just from you, when you look back at the. The pitching decisions really over the course of the weekend. But it, it almost feels like that if Chase Burns was ready to go, Tennessee may have won this series if he was able to go in the fifth. Yeah. Because you know you know what you've seen out of Chase Burns. He was probably going to shut him down. I mean, if he continued his streak of being good out of the pin. You yeah. Know? So it's just it's funny how maybe it all could have changed. Yeah, yeah that's baseball. Exactly. No, that's margins. a good point. Um, but anyway, A.J. Russell pitched three and a third. Um Gave up just three hits. I'm pull up the stats here. And, you know, the only run that he allowed was a weird one there because it was with two outs, um, I believe so, and the the single that brought in a run oh, yeah. bounced off the first base bag. It was with one out. It bounced off the first base bag. Should have been a routine out, but then it allowed a run to score. So technically, when you look at this A.J. Russell outing, could have been no runs allowed. And, man, he threw about 50 pitches, was just really dominant against a pretty good Georgia lineup. And you look at A.J. Russell outside of Chase Burns and Camden Sewell for sure, which are the top two bullpen arms, probably Seth Halverson that next year by himself. Is A.J. Russell now that next guy, you think? 
feels like he should be. Certainly does. Whether he is or not, I'm not sure, but it feels like he should be, and it feels like it's conti- it almost feels like an inevitability that he's going to be getting huge weekend innings at yeah. some point or postseason innings. Especially you look at Aaron Combs, not that he's been bad as of late, but he not he, as good he's as Russell. kind of plateaued a yeah. little bit, whereas Russell just seemingly keeps on finding another gear. And yeah, I mean, you you mentioned it. Obviously, the he gets the first two guys out in that inning. It's a harmless single. Tennessee in, intentionally walks uh, the next guy after Laplante still second, and it's a ball that obviously there's some bad luck there, but a play that Blake Burke you know probably should have made. Uh, so uh, on the ball, it hits the base and was a <laughs> very funny RBI single you don't see too many of them like that so he was really really good his stuff looks really really good and you know I don't know if this is all the master plan or intentionally how they plan to use him but it does feel like they he had a big role early in the season when just about anybody any pitcher does for the most part if you're in potentially going to pitch big innings and then as a freshman he doesn't most of SEC play he does not have a big role and now he's starting to kind of gear him back up again. And I think when you look at a freshman pitcher and you worry about what happened to Chase Burns and Drew Beam a little bit last year with their arms wearing down, mm-hmm. I think the way they've used Russell, I'm not sure if that's by design or it's just how it's been, how it's happened. It makes a lot of sense because the amount of innings he's thrown, he he should be pretty fresh right. and should be able to give Tennessee a lot down the stretch of the season. And I mean, certainly his stuff is just really, really impressive. It's much better, much, much better than I expected, especially for a guy that really wasn't a, a big-time recruit and was a guy Tennessee kind of added pretty late in their class, and he's turned out to be, I would I would say, to this point, he's been the best pitcher in the freshman class, and it's hard to not think he doesn't have the highest ceiling of any of those guys, and it's hard to think that he's not, uh, you know, way looking ahead now. It's hard to think that he's not going to be right in the thick of the starting competition to win a weekend job next year. And he's put himself into position now to where he didn't throw in the midweek because he threw 50 on Sunday. And now I t- Tennessee's definitely going to go back to him this weekend, it feels like. And like yeah. I said, outside of those three guys that, you know, we've seen Tony Vitale have the most trust in out of the bullpen, which Seth Halverson is throwing less and less, you know, A.J. Russell's probably just going to throw more and more too. So another dominant righty out of the bullpen there and you know we didn't mention Andrew Lindsay and Camden Sewell in the opener but Camden Sewell just more Camden Sewell stuff he he seems to have you know he's putting together a really good season here in his final season on at Tennessee um a, a really good bullpen arm for Tennessee and then Andrew Lindsay you know just baseball kind of happened there for him in that one inning to where it made sense to make the change to lefty and Kirby and pull him. But, you know, he was fine through a little through a little north of 60 pitches, but another solid start for Lindsay in which I didn't come away feeling discouraged at any point. No, not at all. And I do think you some of those things I just talked about with the freshman pitchers, you worry about with Lindsay a little bit too since he didn't pitch last year and was yes. away from baseball. So especially as you've moved him into a starter role, uh, and he is such. He's been so good. He's such an important, important piece. Uh, I don't think they want to push the limits with with his arm right now and save that till the postseason and try to keep him fresh. But yeah, he was he was solid. He wasn't great, uh, but he was solid. And that's kind of what Andrew Lindsay is is done best. He's gotten Tennessee to the middle of games, and he's not going to give up a ton of runs. And Tennessee's you know at the worst going to be down a run or two when when he exits the game. Let's talk some storylines for Tennessee moving forward. We've talked enough about the Georgia series. Kavar's Tears is back. Yeah. He returned in the midweek last night against Austin P. starting in right field. With him joining the outfield rotation, Christian Scott and Hunter Inslee just moved over, so Hunter Inslee played left field, Christian Scott in center, and Jared Dickey moved to the designated hitter spot, so that means neither Merritt nor Dryling started. Don't know if Kavar's Tears is going to be an every-game starter, but he... Could be, for all I know. And what do you think we're going to see out of Kavar's tears moving forward in SEC play and just how Tony Vitello is going to use all these options for the DH and outfield? Yes, it's kind of... Because it doesn't feel like Scott and Inslee are going anywhere. No, nor should they. Yeah. And how they use tears, deal with tears, manage tears, like that's, to me, the kind of the one question with the lineup. Because... It feels like they've gotten into a good rhythm. Yep. The position player starters are the same every game. I don't think that's going to change. And then, you know, if it's a right-handed pitcher, then Dryling's going to be the DH. If it's a left-handed pitcher, Merritt's going to be the DH. So where does Tears factor in? Does he 
start splitting some of those right-handed starts with Dryling? Does he just get pinch hit opportunities? You know, I'm not really sure, but that's to me the one that's going to be curious because both Tears and Dryling to me have had had similar production over the course of the season, over the course of SEC play when they've gotten their chances. Uh, it doesn't feel like there's been a ton of separation with those two bats. So how do, exactly does Tennessee manage it? And to me, that's kind of the question. We know Dryling has been the better designated, or excuse me, the better pinch hit guy. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's kind of a role that you know he's maybe going to see more uh, than Tears. But you know, it, to me, it would be surprising too if Tears isn't getting, you know, uh, if there's two right-handed pitchers on the mound, at least two starting right-handed pitchers against Tennessee on a weekend. To me, it would be surprising at least at this point if Tears didn't get one of those starts. Yeah, that's a good point. And. Made a heck of a defensive play, too, yesterday. Bases were loaded with no outs, and I believe it was for the second out. He uh, fired in a throw from right field to keep the guy at third and prevent the sack fly. Just a heck of a defensive play. So he flashed that arm, and, you know, he's not—he's definitely not a liability out there in right field, you know, from the plays we've seen him make out there so far this season. No, no, not at all. And I liked Tony Vitello's phrase about it. I think he's called a— he saved he saved the run by the scouting report. You know, Austin V had a scouting report. He had a good arm, and yeah, he it was one of those cool ones where the the player doesn't even run, but you just got to if you're in the right field, you got to throw it immediately. You know, just in, uh-huh. just in case he does run, and it was it was an absolute hose right on the money, and he would have he would have gotten the runner. So uh, yeah, that was a really nice play, and I think that's something that's encouraging in the long term for tears. But it just feels like the outfield is pretty set with those three guys, unless. To me, unless they want to do kind of what they did yesterday for Dickey and give him a day off in the field um, and start him at DH, you know, I think that's kind of the only way that you see any sort of change in who's starting in the outfield. When you look at Tennessee's nine average starters in SEC play taking merit over Dryling, would you be – I think before the season, you wouldn't be shocked now, but if I told you before SEC play started that Blake Burke was bottom three in Tennessee and batting average in SEC play among those nine – You'd probably be a little surprised. Yeah, certainly. Blake Burke batting 226 in SEC play down there with Zane Denton and Cal Stark. Blake Burke went 1-4-13 for 13 against Georgia and didn't really get any better Tuesday. He had a single, but he went 1-4. for four. And, you know, I'm not a huge fan of this stat, of the left-on-base stat for hitters, but yeah. he did leave eight on base in the series, too. So... You know, we we talked about Blake Burke, Blake Burke lack of clutch hitting to where he kind of he had that three run home run against Mississippi State, I believe, where yes. you know you I and I game. you and I were saying, hey, we haven't seen that of Blake Burke a lot. That was encouraging, but you know, one for thirteen against Georgia. This is probably the worst weekend we've seen Blake Burke in SEC play. I don't know. It just wasn't good. No, it wasn't good, and it was it was crazy because he and there's you know not a ton to. To put into this, but you know, the road games, I'm usually there earlier in Tennessee's taking batting practice last, so I catch a lot of it. And I mean, Blake Burke was just unbelievable in MVP. <laughs> and again, that's not. Which day? The whole weekend. The whole, the whole weekend. weekend espe- yeah. Especially Sunday, which gotcha. is probably the least competitive he looked at the plate. Uh, he almost killed a kid out in those right field, those <laughs> small right field bleachers that wasn't paying attention. Um, just an absolute line drive. And, uh, you know, I. It's funny because I had thought that, and then I just asked Tony, you know, what was wrong with him because we did not see the guy mm. with the smooth swings we saw in batting practice, and he was just trying to be way outside of himself. And I, I don't know if that's been the problem the whole year. That I think that was pretty accurate for what happened over the weekend. He chased a ton of pitches, did not have a good approach. And, yeah, I mean, those numbers, he's been one of Tennessee's probably outside of the catcher spot. He's been Tennessee's worst hitter in SEC play, and I think – Probably what's most surprising, even more than the 226 batting average, is the 398 slugging percentage. I mean, that's yes, only that's better, only better than Cal Stark and Dylan Dryling uh, of the guys that are getting consistent at bats in SEC play. He just he hasn't really had the power. I mean, it's been there a little bit. He has five home runs in SEC play, but only one double, and it doesn't doesn't feel like many of those home runs have really come at big moments. Yeah, Tony also said he's outside himself. Outside of that himself, was the yeah. phrase he used. So, yeah, Tennessee needs Blake Burke to get on track because, you know, as we've seen with Christian Moore in the Mississippi State Series, when one of Tennessee's top hitters gets on track, it usually bodes pretty well, especially with Blake Burke batting in the cleanup spot too. But moving on, you mentioned Cal Stark. I want to talk about Cal Stark. I want to talk about Cal Stark defensively more so than anything. You know, the Vols are a team without an elite, a complete 
catcher, if you will. It's just pure and simple. It's one of their weakest spots, and it has been for a couple years, you know, going back to Evan Russell last year as well. But, you know, Cal Stark had some nice plays on Sunday. Had the nice pickoff play in the second inning, caught someone stealing in the seventh, and, you know, teams steal at will against Tennessee. It is a known fact. In fact, Mason LaPlante did that on Saturday. He stole pace four times. Those Um, four times? doubled Georgia's stolen bases in SEC play this season. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That That's an interesting stat. But, yeah, Mason LaPlante just, you know, had his way with stealing bases on Saturday. And, more importantly, Kentucky is coming to town yeah. this weekend who will small ball you to death. They have three, four players with 13 or more stolen bases. That has got to be the most in the SEC amongst players with at least 13 or more stolen bases. To put that into perspective, the Vols have one with more than seven, and that's Christian Moore. So, Kentucky's a great team at stealing bases, and Cal Stark's in store for a big weekend for him behind the plate. Your thoughts on how Cal Stark has progressed defensively? I'd say we probably saw his best effort defensively on Sunday. I would agree, and I think he's been pretty solid. Like the And you're right, Tennessee has not had a, a great catcher situation in the last two years. and But I think those who just very casually follow the team, I think those that follow it closely know this, and this isn't a surprise to that's more on the pitchers than yeah. it is on it's, the It's catchers. Frank Anderson's only flaw, feels like. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, whether it's a flaw. Or it's his biggest flaw. Yeah, whether it's a flaw or not. And his mean, staff, yeah. Yeah, it's up for debate. He just is going to focus on throwing strikes and getting outs with the guy on the plate, and, and there's not going to be a big emphasis on holding runners. And, you know, last year when not many guys got on base, it didn't really turn out to be much of a problem. This year you're seeing it a little more so, but – did, to me, the Georgia game game on Saturday was the first time, or one of the few times this season where it felt like, man, this is a real problem. Someone's just really taking advantage of it. But you would think from the jump that's going to be Kentucky's game plan. And, yep. Uh, I mean, I we the, when we talked about the Kentucky series a few weeks back, you know, it's not a great matchup from the fact that Tennessee hasn't been very good defensively in the infield, and this is a Kentucky team that's going to put the ball in play a lot, and they're going to make you make good plays. So Tennessee's going to have to be, you know, really, really sharp. And certainly, like you said, it's going to be a, a big task for Cal Stark, who, you know, I think has been good back there. I think uh, there's not a ton from a defensive side of things. I don't think there's been a ton that he's really uh, done poorly. Uh, I think he's made a handful of close plays that shouldn't have been close plays on stolen bases. He, he did throw out somebody in Saturday's game. Uh, and obviously you mentioned the two guys on, on Sunday. So, uh, I feel like he's done pretty well, but you know that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be. The numbers are going to look pretty this weekend, and I think that's you know one of the biggest keys entering the series. Yeah, I just thought it was an important trend or an important observation from the weekend yeah. to bring up as well. And you know, Cal Stark offensively, you know he can hit it out of the yard at any moment's notice too. He he's definitely not been you know we haven't seen that potential quite manifest in SEC play like maybe we thought we could see. You know, you and I talking prior to the season, but. Anyway, Cal Stark's a dangerous nine-hole hitter. There's no doubt about it. Like, he can change a game. Yeah, he can. I'm trying to see the phrase that Tony said uh, about the catchers yesterday. Somebody said, talking about those two guys, Charlie uh, Charlie Taylor and Cal Stark, and he said, you know, they're good defensively, and they can run, they can run, put a pop on one and run one out of the ballpark every now and again, too. So, mm-hmm. uh, he hasn't been great at the plate, but, uh, I mean, <laughs> the hit on Sunday easily could have been you know, you, like you were kind of saying, if Chase Burns comes in in the fifth inning and was available to throw two or three innings, you could be looking at the game and saying, or looking at the weekend and saying, yeah, that swing from Cal Stark was the biggest moment of the entire series, of the entire weekend. And, uh, man, he absolutely destroyed that home run, too. That was not <laughs> yeah. a wall scraper no. uh, deep into left center. Uh, so he does have uh, some serious power as you know, we saw he was one of the few guys that hit a home run that first weekend at some bigger ballparks in Arizona. Absolutely. And shout out Charlie Taylor for his grand slam yeah. against um, Austin P last night. Big old home run. First pitch of the AB off the batter's eye. So, you know, he's locked in on that one. But last little thing of housekeeping I want to talk about, just a couple of minutes, all we got to spend on it. Lefty arms in the bullpen. It doesn't really feel like there's a reliable lefty you can go to for any extended amount of time. As we've seen this Xander Seacrest Kirby Cannell combination be that go-to. Jacob Bimby hasn't quite got quite got the trust in SEC play. Jake Fitzgibbons as well, even less more so, less so than Jacob Bimby. It seems like so. Do you think Xander and Kirby will be enough for Tennessee's lefty arms out of the bullpen moving forward in the postseason? Is this a problem? I don't think so. At least not a. Yeah, I don't think it's a problem. I think you would 
like to have more options. Yeah. You'd like you'd like to have White Evans exactly. is, what, is what you'd right. like to have. Um, what I will say is I think it's at some point before the season's over, there will be a game where Kirby's going to throw two innings for him. More than a batter? More than a batter. Really? And I'm, I'm, saying, even more, I'm saying even more than an inning. <laughs> they're going to run into a lineup that's lefty heavy, and yeah. they're going to be run a little thin on the pitching, and they're going to have to ask a little more than him uh, in one outing than they have basically the whole season. So I think that will happen. So it, in that sense, you know, you could say maybe they need uh, another guy. And certainly I think it would be ideal for them to have another guy. And you look at it, Bimby and like Fitzgibbons, like you said, just it hasn't come to fruition. I don't think Xander is a guy they want to, in big moments, draw out for more than an inning. I think, you know, in inning tops, they feel comfortable using him. Obviously, ideally, just for a batter or two, like they mostly have used him in, mm-hmm. in Kirby. Um, but it's something to watch, for sure. But I don't think it's going to be a massive problem, just because I think Kirby is, I mean, we've seen it in the last two years. We haven't seen it a ton this year, but we've seen it in other years where he's, he's capable of throwing multiple innings and being pretty effective for Tennessee. He definitely is. It's easy to forget if you watch Kirby Cannell this year because he's just Mr. Point one innings, but he threw four innings against Campbell last year in the regional and yeah. it was a big reason why Tennessee won that game. You know, the, he was. Those lefty arms out of the pen, he and Will Mabry were kind of the unsung heroes of Tennessee's regional sweep last year, but yeah, so moving forward, Kentucky's coming to town. Number 17 Kentucky in the ranks. They Swept South Carolina last weekend in Lexington, taking you know now fourteen and ten in the SEC, um, jumping Tennessee in the rankings. Kentucky's a good baseball club, and it looks like they were slipping a little bit, but then they get back on track last weekend in Lexington. They got a solid pitching staff, as we've said, they'll small ball you to death, and they got three batters hitting right at three sixty or above. So it's a pretty dangerous lineup too. Kentucky, a team you cannot take lightly, Ryan. No, not at all. And uh, I will say one thing that. Feels important to note, like Tennessee, they've not been very good on the road this season. Uh, not to the Tennessee scale of struggling on the road, but uh, they've only won one SEC series on the road um, back the second week of conference play. They won two out of three down in Alabama. Uh, so they haven't been great there. They got swept at Vanderbilt in their last SEC series or last SEC road series. Uh, it's been a Interesting two weeks for them. They get swept at Vanderbilt, then come home and sweep South Carolina, who lost to North Florida last night and is, is really struggling with a, mm-hmm. is a little bit banged up. Um, so uh, it's a solid Kentucky team, but a Kentucky team that has not played particularly well uh, away from uh, Lexington. And I think that bodes well for Tennessee, given that they've played uh, well at home. And But again, I don't think it's necessarily a great matchup for Tennessee. And the Vols, you know, better, better come ready and better come locked in and – uh, the room for the room for careless mistakes is, is smaller this weekend than it is in most weekends, and it's usually pretty small in SEC play. I know this has got to be super surprising, but winning at home has become a common theme in SEC baseball. Yeah, it's <laughs> no, it's more kidding. dramatic this year. Yeah, no, for sure. As, as you mentioned, Kentucky sweeping South Carolina last week in Lexington. Bama beats Vandy in Tuscaloosa. Auburn beats LSU in Auburn. A&M beats Florida in College Station. And, of course, Georgia beats UT in Athens. That's five underdogs winning those series because, you know, primarily because they were at home probably. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously home field is always important, but it just it feels like it's been it's been crazy this year. Like, like it's and obviously we're seeing probably the worst version of it being Tennessee, who's ten and two at home and two and ten on the road in <laughs> right. SEC play. They are the poster child. They are, yeah, trend. they're the the picture that's by this little blurb in yep. the, in the season SEC media guide. Uh, but it, it it hasn't just been Tennessee. I mean, we saw it with Georgia, who's only lost one series at home all year, and then kind of the same thing with Kentucky this weekend. As we look at it, they've. Uh, one only one series uh, away from Lexington. Yeah, I saw a lot of people on Twitter like this Georgia team isn't isn't good. Tennessee should you know just easily sweep or win this series. Well, Georgia swept Arkansas in Athens. So you know any given weekend the home SEC team could win or sweep, and you have it you have to just take that into account when you're looking at these series. But Tennessee gets the fortune of playing at home this weekend, as Ryan has said. They've been really really good at home this weekend outside of one series, and that is the Florida series. What do you think is going to happen this weekend? This is a big weekend for both teams, as you know, but not, they're not necessarily bubble teams, but they are teams that have a chance at hosting a regional and need to make a late season push. Yes, you're right, and you know, Kentucky. I will say this for Kentucky. I and we're talking about how unsurprising it is to see the home teams do well this season, just because it's been such a consistent theme. 
man, I, I was worried about Kentucky's NCAA tournament chances going into last week. I really was because, what, they sat at uh, 11 wins, and they yeah, had South Carolina, Tennessee, and somebody else good, Florida, Florida to yeah. end the season. And I was like – and they had started – they had just gotten swept at Vanderbilt. Uh, they would lost the series before against Texas A&M. And they lost three straight series before last weekend. And I felt like, man, Kentucky's falling apart here. Right. They might not even make the postseason, but – uh, so that was huge uh, for them last weekend, and I think really kind of changes the outlook on this series. I still think Tennessee wins, and I will uh, let you poke at me, and I, I'm not picking the sweep. Ne- I'm not never. I'm, I'm not. I, I'm not picking the sweep against a team that matches up well against Tennessee. That's a good point. I, I don't think I will either. I I I was pretty confident in this Mississippi State sweep, and you yeah. you still pick two or three. I'll give you. I'll give you. You know flag for that but not this Kentucky one I understand taking two of three I think I needed to see either Kentucky lose that series to South Carolina or Tennessee win the series against Georgia to feel to get that boldness no one no one gave me any reason to feel bold yeah uh, no, coming, coming certainly into this not weekend. it's gonna be a fun one though for sure we get an early game Saturday noon game on Beautiful, Saturday as always you like those I love them I don't know about it I kind of I, I don't know I like the Saturday night vibe yeah, I mean the the vibe is is cool and all, but I like not having to work till midnight. Fair. Game one, six thirty Eastern um, on Friday. As I mentioned, noon Eastern on Saturday. That is the only game that is televised on the series. It'll be on SEC Network, and then one Eastern on Sunday. As always, keep up with Rocky Top Insiders live threads during Tennessee baseball games, especially when they're not on television. As I'll have a full chronicle of the games and Ryan will have you covered on Twitter as well. You know, Ryan, um, I, that's all I've got for this podcast. Anything else you wanted to mention or emphasize here before we sign off? No, I don't think so. Uh, I think, uh, the, the one thing we just mentioned briefly and kind of is something that stood out for the weekend is I just, you know, Camden Sewell was really good uh, again and, and you touched mm-hmm. on it briefly, but it feels like he's kind of starting to, to find his stride and, yeah. With his arm, which has kind of been a concern all season with soreness there. That's why you didn't really see them use him until SEC play started. I think you're kind of now uh, starting to see him, them build him up to his most. And, and they're really kind of right around now, I think, going to start pushing the limits with him a little more. And it's his, uh, it's his final month of playing baseball. So I think he's ready to leave it all out on the diamond. It's fun to watch Camden Sewell pitch. It is. I, he's probably my favorite pitcher to watch. Like, yeah. he, you know, he's not – He's not like ever gonna be super shut down dominant like we can see Burns or Dolander be, but it, you know he's always gonna be solid. He's a fun pitcher to watch for sure. And Chase Burns will be good to go. Yes, Tony Vitale assured that again last night. So yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see how how much they use him, how comfortable they are kind of extending him out because. And I don't mean to say this like I wasn't surprised that he wasn't available last weekend or had arm soreness because I you know I didn't know that was coming. I didn't expect that to be coming. Right. I do think it's a little less surprising than you would might think, given the fact that he's been in the bullpen. Because you're like, well, he hasn't even been starting. He hasn't even been throwing that much. That's not entirely true. He threw like 75 pitches at Arkansas in that Sunday game. He came back against Vanderbilt and threw three extremely high-stress innings on Friday and then turned around and threw again on Sunday. And then, uh, you know, probably threw, what, 50, 60 pitches on that Friday game against Mississippi State or Thursday game against Mississippi State. So... Again, I'm not saying I wasn't surprised, but Burns' arm has been taxed more than you would think just by looking at a guy that's been relegated to the bullpen and isn't a starter anymore. He's still been throwing a lot of pitches for really the last three or four weekends. That's a good point. And does the date July 23rd ring a bell for you? July 23rd? No. It is National Coworker Day, or Care for Your Coworker Day. Okay. And that is you and me. So that means that I've got to get you a... Will Levis, Tennessee Titans, number eight jersey for National Coworker Day on July 23rd. I've got to put that in my notes so I do not forget because it, it's coming up here in uh, two months and 13 days. That was so mean of you to bring up. It's, it's 8.58 in the morning and you bring up Will Levis. <laughs> I had to. I didn't do it last week because we were on Zoom and my mind was elsewhere. But Yeah, we had that 40-minute that forty minute timer on us on Zoom. Yes, we, we I know. We I couldn't, couldn't be joking couldn't, around. We couldn't yeah, waste time making Will Levis We're jokes. sitting here at 49.30 on a Wednesday morning at 8.58. I want to talk about – I want to give you Will Levis crap. So, Hey, what, tell me what quarterback wouldn't shine with Nikhil Westbrook-Akina's receiver too. 
Yeah, I know. It's Kyle Phillips is receiver such, three. Such a luxury of weapons in Music City right now. Such a luxury of weapons. That's right. It was uh, uh, Sean Barros, the, the baseball SID. I sent him a text yesterday. He's a Packers fan, and it was like the rankings of how much every team spends on the receivers. <laughs> and the Titans. And the Titans and Packers are Packers are last. Titans are second to last, and they're like. There's like a huge log jam from like 12 to 15 million where it's like, I don't know, like 28 to 15 or something like that in the league. And then the Titans and Packers were both like 4 million below it and spending 8 million on their, on their receivers. So not a lot of weapons in Nashville. Absolutely not. I'm so looking forward to Trevor Lawrence being the like vet in the AFC South in his third year by like week six this year. That's going to be crazy as we'll have three yeah. rookies alongside Lawrence in the South. So Jags finna dominate. Four years to come. Yeah, he'll probably dominate the terrible AFC South. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence isn't isn't as good as the other quarterbacks in the uh, in in the AFC. So I don't. Uh, or, He's a comfortable fourth. Uh, I'm not sure I'd say maybe, comfortable. Maybe fifth, because uh, Rodgers joins. I'll I'll say fifth. After Mahomes, Burrow, Herbert, and Rodgers. Yeah, I mean, he, he be, ranking him there, I think is fair. I'm not sure I would say comfortable. Herbert, Lamar, I think both yeah, are in the same ballpark for sure. If Lamar stays healthy, you know it potentially can happen. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I just, I just love giving you Will Levis eight. And oh, what a sad state of affairs. <laughs> the 2020, 2023 NFL draft will live in infamy. That's for sure. Be sure and follow Rike Tap Insider on all your social platforms at Rike Tap Insider. Can slap Ryan at follow at rshump00. That's S C H U M P. Can also follow me at Jack Foster Media for all your Tennessee baseball needs as we're heading in to the last month and a half or so of college baseball season. That'll do it for this episode of the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Special Edition Podcast. Appreciate you guys listening. Do want to remind you that the regular Press Pass will be taking a bit of a not necessarily full-time break, but we're going to dial it back a little bit as there's not a whole lot going on in the Tennessee football and basketball world. But anytime something big comes up, we will be sure to podcast about that alongside Rick Butler as well. So you'll want to tune in to that, everybody. Thank you for listening to this edition of the podcast. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>